Are you looking for a quick keto meal that has not just a little bit of protein in it, but also all the electrolytes, vitamins, protein, fat, and more that will meet one third of your daily needs? Then let me introduce you to Keto Chow. It's a quick and easy to mix shake that is designed to give you a complete ketogenic meal. You're able to customize the calories because you decide how much fat to add. Most people mix it with heavy whipping cream, but you can also use avocado oil, coconut cream, a little MCT oil, or any other fat of your choice. Keto Chow is designed specifically for people on the go to replace one to two meals in their day. It comes in eight flavors, including chocolate, vanilla, chocolate peanut butter, cookies and cream, strawberry, mocha, banana, and salted caramel in both individual meal samples as well as a large 21 meal bag. There's also a sample of all the things bundle that has one of each flavor plus a keto chow blender bottle to get you started. Head on over to jimmyloves.ketochow.com and use the coupon code LLVLC to get 10% off of your first order. jimmyloves.ketochow.com Good news, low-carb, ketogenic, real food fans. A real good foods company is now in all U.S. Walmart stores. They have enchiladas, poppers, cauliflower crust pizzas, mini pizza bites, and the chicken crust pizzas in 3,500 Walmart stores. Real Good Foods pizzas are grain-free, gluten-free, and of course, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic. This is real food, and now it's available at your local Walmart. Get exclusive offers from Real Good Foods by texting RGF to 474747. And be sure to visit realgoodfoods.com to learn more about Real Good Foods' ketogenic line of products. Real Good Foods. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Cut up them avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, the Living Low Carb Show.com. Hey, hey, guys, we're back here on the Live and Levita Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. And today I'm very privileged to welcome to the podcast the fat emperor himself. That's what he calls himself, not Jimmy Moore calling him that. His name's Ivor Cummins, and he is a world-renowned chemical engineer with a long career in the medical device and other industries. And he's played many roles as technical leader. His specialty these days is leading teams in complex problem-solving efforts and uh, he got involved a few years back. I remember, I remember watching your videos, Ivor, on YouTube, and I'm going, man, this guy, he, he has a way of uh, putting things together that make it understandable. And when I found out you were an engineer, I was not surprised. <laughs> so it was really good to, uh, to hear you get out there. And now you're speaking at all these keto conferences. And we have you here today on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show to kind of give us an update on what's happening in lipid research. What's up, man? 
Hey, Jimmy, it's great to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long while. And and since then, you and your buddy, Dr. Jeff Gerber, actually wrote a book together called Eat Rich, Live Long, Mastering the Low-Carb and Keto Spectrum for Weight Loss and Longevity. And it went into a whole lot of different things uh, related to what you've been talking about for many years. And definitely the cholesterol stuff is still interesting. It, it amazes me how many people to this day, Ivor, and I wrote a book about it in 2013, cholesterol clarity, and people still worry about their cholesterol. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's pretty tragic, really, because there's so many more important things to look at in blood metrics uh, than cholesterol. But the world is still obsessed with it, and people are too. So, how do we shift that? How do we get people to realize it's no longer a nutrient of concern? And then something of concern in their body to worry about and get them on to the more important things like HSCRP, homocysteine, uh, insulin, blood sugar. Why aren't those getting all the same vilification, I suppose, as total cholesterol has? Yeah, I guess it's historical, Jimmy. As we kind of know, uh, cholesterol was easy to measure way back several decades ago and it took the world by storm when they identified the different lipoproteins and could measure them quite easily and there had been many decades before that of a suspicion that cholesterol was engaged in coronary vascular disease and it does have a part to play uh, but when they had the measurability things really took off and they saw these correlations between cholesterol and ldl and higher rates of disease and then when the drugs became available to lower it, and they also had an effect on lowering heart disease, that was when it went mega, I guess, in the 90s. Well, and now that we have a lot more sophistication in the ways that we measure lipids, uh, we got the subfractions that we can now test uh, with LDL particle size and looking at the the density of the LDL and the HDL and, and all of these things, it seems that lipidologists and, and other people that want to keep that hypothesis going, they've shifted gears a bit. Can you talk about some of the things that they're doing with the new particle size and how they're manipulating patients still? Well, yeah. So originally there was total cholesterol back in the 60s, and that was the thing to fear into the 70s and 80s. And then it became apparent from the data that total cholesterol was a very poor correlate with higher heart disease. So they kind of had to drop it. But then LDL had come along the bad cholesterol and that was a better correlator. It tracked better with heart disease. So they were saved. So we had LDL for a long time. But now, now the LDLC, the classic LDL concentration that all people know as bad cholesterol, it's becoming quite clear that that one is very misleading also. So I have many studies I go through in my talks. And if you stratify or break people out by high or low total over HDL ratio, yeah. which is a measure of insulin resistance, you see that the LDL is an extremely weak signal. In fact, sometimes it doesn't have any linkage to higher heart disease, even between people who are 100 uh, milligrams up to 190 milligrams. So I think the LDL classic is not in any of the world's risk calculators now. <laughs> they all use total over HDL. Yeah. So yeah, the old LDL is kind of moving out. It's important for people to know, though, it's still used as a treatment target to track how drugs are working in your body. 
and they still use it to track drugs, but but it's not in the risk calculators because it's too weak. It's too misleading. Well, and see, for the keto dieter, this is something that I've tried to talk about quite often in my work, Ivor, is for the keto dieter, when you keep your carbs uh, down and you raise your fat, inevitably what's going to happen is your triglycerides will fall like a rock below 100, and doctors never talk about trigs. And then HDL cholesterol will go above 50, and when you have that ratio between the triglyceride and HDL right around a 1 or less, that that LDLC, which is just merely a an estimated number calculated using the Friedwald equation, it's miscalculated. And so all of these keto dieters that suddenly have bad lipid panels, maybe they don't. Maybe what's happened is it's miscalculating what their LDLC is, which then shows up in their total, which then skews the total to HDL uh, uh, paradigm that you were just talking about. Yeah, and this is certainly a problem. And uh, the world really keto dieters and low carb, healthy whole foods dieters are kind of new to the world. So the cholesterol hypothesis has to try and keep up with them. And it's not doing a good job. Uh, Interestingly, one of the most interesting groups of people are the hyper responders who actually do get a, a large increase in LDL when they switch to a very low carb diet. And the million dollar question at the moment is, if you've got a healthy low carber and their LDL has gone up quite high, but all their ratios are good and all their other measures, like you said, the really important ones like insulin, glucose and inflammatory markers, is that person at high LDL risk or not at all? And that's the big question. If you guys want to have fun, hop over to Twitter and follow Ivor there. Uh, what are you, the Fat Emperor there? What's your username? Oh, it's just at Fat Emperor, yeah. Okay, Fat, Fat Emperor. Okay, yeah. So follow him because when people like Tom Dayspring and others pop up uh, trying to spout some of the, the conventional wisdom, Ivor has a way of uh, putting them in their place. <laughs> I, I love the interactions that you have because you don't mind getting down and dirty with these so-called leading experts on this topic. Yeah, well, I mean, I've had fun with Tom. And in fairness to Tom, uh, some of the other top cholesterol experts can get really nasty. But Tom keeps a reasonably good humor. Yeah, he does. And I've, yeah, I've bantered with him. I've sent him. He even retweeted once a root cause diagram I sent him publicly. And it had statin deficiency syndrome on it. So I put together all the causes of heart disease, including higher LDLs. But then I questioned whether LDL was really independent. And he actually retweeted it, which was quite good of him. That was way back, though. Yeah, it's been many years since I've had him on this show. And yeah, he he was quite compelling, but he's so convinced of LDLP being the be all end all in your health. And if it's high, you better get on a statin immediately. And in fact, he told me directly to take a damn statin and get it done with. <laughs> get it like getting a tooth out. eh? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, just get it done. OK, yeah, I, I well, don't like the side effects. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always going to be with any drug. There's a trade off between a potential benefit and a side effect. But you mentioned LDLP and, and that's actually the last part of the LDL story. So yeah. LDLC, the old LDL cholesterol, that's not in the risk calculators. It's it's falling away now. But the LDL particle count 
ApoB or LDLP, yep. that is the new bad cholesterol. And it does track with heart disease much better than the old LDL. That is true. Yeah. So when you guys hear LDLP, you might hear ApoB. Those are basically the same uh, measurement that they, they correlate very well, right? They essentially are, yeah. The LDLP is the count of the particles, but because there's one ApoB protein on each particle, it's kind of the same thing in a different lab test. So, so, so it's like yep. triglycerides being divided by five is basically your VLDL, same kind of equation. Yeah, though, though that one is, is kind of a rough one, whereas ApoB and LDLP are, are very closely related, yeah, yeah. but similar. So the the million dollar question now is, and it was asked many, many years ago, if your LDLP is high in a very healthy person with a healthy arteries with no inflammatory markers and great glucose and insulin and all the rest, if you have healthy arteries, is a higher particle count a problem at all? That is the and million that, dollar question. <laughs> it is. And my recent talks actually in, in Washington at Dr. Berg's Keto Summit and in Mallorca at the Low Carb Universe and Low Carb Houston with the cardiologist Nadir Ali. All these recent conferences around the world, I'm giving a talk on the cholesterol conundrum part two. So I'm picking up from the one I did years ago and you, you gave me my first break, Jimmy. My first <laughs> podcast was with you. Right here. <laughs> yeah. And um, I went back the last few months and I studied really deeply into the particle count and what allows it to become a problem. So this million dollar question I've had a good look at, and I had around 200 scientific papers over the few weeks cross-referenced, and I put together all the reasons why the high particle count may be a problem or may not be a problem. Can you give us a brief synopsis? I know it's a whole talk, so I don't want you to have to give the whole talk, but what were your conclusions? Well, the brief, some of the stuff I knew already, but I learned a lot more about the endothelium, the inner layer of your arterial wall. So briefly, I had five factors, or I call them layers, that if they're working well, a higher particle count from the science is highly unlikely to be a problem. And the layers are layer zero, I called it because it was fundamental. If you have very low or no oxidized LDLs, there is good science out there to suggest that oxidized LDLs in your blood damaged by inflammation and glucose and other problems can be a big part of LDL becoming a problem in your artery. Can so you measure was, oxidized LDL? Yeah, it's the ox LDL assay. You okay. can get it in the States and it's called minimally oxidized LDL. But it turns out the science shows that minimally oxidized LDL appears to damage your artery inner lining as much as massively oxidized. That's the new science. Hmm. So this and they've also I have papers where diabetics and people with issues have much, much higher ox LDL. And they've got the types of oxidized LDL that in a Petri dish in a lab really damages endothelial cells from your artery, whereas the native LDL that's undamaged that healthy people have does not damage the, the layer at all. So that's layer zero, oxidized LDL. Do you have it or not? And layer one is the glycocalyx. 
So this might be a new one to some you people. Call me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you glycocalyx, hey, you. you glycocalyx. <laughs> so it's it's an odd word, but basically we all have on the inside of our arteries, on the inner wall, everywhere, the glycocalyx, which is like um, it's like a forest of tiny hairs. And basically, it's a very thin layer, but it allows the blood to flow in your arteries without friction. And the hairs, as they bend, sense the movement of the blood and they release special molecules from your artery wall to keep it healthy, called nitric oxide and many others. So this hairy layer, you can damage the hell out of it by becoming high blood glucose. You can damage it with smoking. You can damage it with inflammatory agents in your blood that rise because of diabetes or obesity. So the glycocalyx actually is a filter for LDL particles that keeps them away from the arterial wall. It has a sieving effect. It manages them. So that that layer is only discovered 30 years ago, and there's a whole load of science coming out about it and how important it is to prevent LDL particles being a problem. Does the size of the LDL particle matter going through that layer? Not really so much. So the small dense LDL that you mentioned earlier, in one way, it's a reflection of having another problem like insulin resistance, but it's only a little smaller, like maybe 21 versus 23. It's not much smaller. And I think small LDL is, is more a problem because it doesn't get brought back to the liver so well, and it has a longer time in the blood to become oxidized or damaged by high blood glucose, etc. So the smallness is, is not really, it appears, something that makes it easier to go in. But if you damage the glycocalyx layer, I would say, wow, now you're talking. Now you could have problems. How would you damage it? You damage it with smoking, um, high blood glucose, um, cause anything that causes inflammation in your, in your body, basically. Tumor necrosis factor alpha is an inflammatory agent that rises in your body when you have inflammatory issues. And that has been shown to damage the glycocalyx. And also angiotensin II associated with high blood pressure. So all of these things that we know are linked to insulin resistance, inflammation, and all the root causes of heart disease, most of these things are demonstrated to damage or cause some problems for the glycocalyx. Got it. Yeah. So layer two and three are to do with the endothelium. So you've got this single cell layer on the inside of your arterial wall. And basically, LDL particles can go across it by something called transcytosis, where the cells bring in an LDL particle, transport it across the layer, and then eject it out into your artery wall. And this is something that's designed by evolution and it works fine but they can also get between the endothelial cells if you damage your endothelial layer and that's just leaky junctions basically between the cells so long story short in your endothelium there's multiple ways that ldl particles can come across and get into your artery wall where they can be a problem and those processes there's a lot of science showing that the same kind of things cause them to uh to be worse so insulin resistance 
blood from diabetics, blood from insulin resistant people and inflammatory agents and many other things have been shown to increase the transfer of LDL across the wall. So again, whether LDL particle number in your blood is a problem will depend hugely on these layers of whether too much is being sent across your endothelium. Mm-hmm. And mm. one more? And well, one more is in the wall of your artery. So now we say some LDL particles have come in, but they can come in and go out again, but they actually get trapped in the wall on a thing called proteoglycans. And these are strands of sugar, protein kind of molecules, and they actually can trap LDL particles. But, hey, presto, what controls whether they trap a lot or don't trap a lot? And guess what? It's the same stuff. So blood from diabetics, blood from insulin resistance. Uh, If you have LDLs with a lot of APOC3, which is associated with obesity and diabetes Mm -hmm. on the LDLs, you get much more entrapment. And type 1 diabetic mice in a mouse experiment versus healthy control mice had eight times the trapping, even when they had the same amount of LDL in their blood. So it shows you that the same big root causes are deciding how much the LDL gets trapped and then oxidized in your wall. So long story short, the kind of cliff notes, there are many, many layers that will allow particles to be a problem or not a problem. And all of the layers are pretty much damaged, affected, screwed up by all the root causes that myself and Dr. Gerber spend our time talking about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, getting healthier, trying to start. You heard all the ketonians talk. Kiss my keto, high and fat. Oh, yeah, low carb. Check it out. So official. Nothing used that's artificial. Products full of electrolytes. Raise your ketones, get you right. Woo! Everything on the label. Oh, yeah, 100%. What's listed is what you get from the foods to supplements. Healthy mix of all the fats, few carbs. I'm going to be real. And the new ketogenic bar. It's a meal that'll get you far. Yeah, kissmyketo.com. Use LLVLC for 20% off. $50 purchase or more on one order. Yeah. Are you looking for a way to track your sleep that is accurate and affordable? Then check out biohackingring.com and use the coupon code JIMMY at checkout for $50 off. Now you've often heard me discussing my sleep biohacking, quantifying how much deep sleep as well as REM sleep and other stages of sleep that I'm getting. And we now have a very cool and fashionable technology that's out there for tracking this data. Again, it's at biohackingring.com. Use the coupon code Jimmy, J-I-M-M-Y, at checkout, you'll get $50 off of this cutting-edge device. I absolutely love this ring, and I couldn't imagine not using it to look in on my sleep. Biohackingring.com is the website. Coupon code Jimmy for $50 off at checkout, and you need to check it out, and it gives you lots of data on sleep, activity, heart rate variability, heart rate, and more. Biohackingring.com. So, Ivor, I have to ask you, as an engineer, seeing another engineer pop up on the scene talking about lipids and doing experiments, and of course, I'm talking about our mutual friend, Dave Feldman, what do you think about the work he's doing and how he's basically turning all of lipidology on its head? 
Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, myself and Dave, we're actually doing a podcast next week on on cholesterol questions. <laughs> and I think on the Friday, Dr. Khan, you know, the vegan yeah, cardiologist. Khan, yep. Yeah, he's going to be going on kind of against me, but not together. So it should be fun. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> but, and he's supposedly trying out keto. I had him on one of my other podcasts. Oh, yeah, I'm trying this ketosis thing and it's it's sacrilege in the vegan community. But I think it has great merit. And then he goes on and does stupid stuff like going on Joe Rogan and saying all the same old, same old. So nothing really has changed. So what is his deal, man? He, he seems to be poking at the bear, so to speak, tagging all of us keto people on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had fun with him on Twitter and we're, we're quite civil about it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He's I think, a good guy too. Yeah, he's he's can be funny. And I think he's just so strongly believing his his plant-based and vegan kind of healthiness that he feels he has to really fight for it. And by God, does he fight for it? I mean, as we saw on Rogan, the weakest <laughs> of associational studies. I mean, you know, stuff I haven't heard in, in quite a while, but he, he, he will try anything. And um, why not? Like, that's that's his belief system. So he pushes it. And sadly, uh, it's it's hard not to kind of fall into the confirmation bias thing. And I, I try very hard, even though it's obvious I'm I'm pro keto and as are you. But you try not to let that jade what you think if good science shows otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I always have to take the papers that I instinctively don't want to read the ones that seem to say I'm wrong. <laughs> and I have to get those papers thoroughly analyze them and yes. be happy that I am not fooling myself always. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you asked about Dave Feldman there, he is absolutely staying away from confirmation bias as well. Yeah. And he's done some great work because back in 2013, when I did the conundrum, that million dollar question I, I raised and I gave evidence to say that LDL particle count does not have to be an issue if your other health is good. And I had some evidence, but now Dave is building more and more evidence for this with all of his hyper responder people. So it's fantastic. If you distilled, distilled down one thing that you've learned from him that you did not know, what, what would you say is the most profound? Well, the thing I did not know for sure was that hyper responders are a significant percentage of humans and they reproducibly and consistently their LDL goes right up when they go to a healthy, low carb keto diet. Uh, the data out there in the literature simply does not have that. It just shows groups of people and on average LDL goes up a bit, but it seems like noisy junk. But Dave's data has proven and he has the hundred people now and you can see this dramatic shift in LDL and you can also bring your high LDL from keto right down. This is another one. I got to do two. <laughs> Dave had an LDL around 260, I think. Yeah. And in seven days, he brought it down to around 80 by eating Whoa. processed meat and Wonder Bread. Yes. He shared that I mean, low carb Houston. Yep. It's just hilarious. So. The million dollar question is beginning to be answered now. I think that all of Dave's people with clearly great markers, great health, feeling great, losing weight, everything good.
but they happen to be the type of people, their physiology is such that their LDL particle count goes up for energy transport, as he would say. Um, he's building a picture that those people, it would appear, are certainly not unhealthy. Now, if you are getting people to stuff themselves with fat, which Dave did sometimes to prove some points on data, uh, I, that's a that's a more gray area. But if people are living a low carb keto, healthy, uh, high healthy fats diet, you know, bit of fasting, bit of good stuff, and their metrics are good, I think those kind of people who happen to be the types genetically who who particle count rises. I'm guessing, yeah, there's no major health implication for that. But we don't know yet. So we got to admit it's not proven yet. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned earlier how there's not a lot of good research on keto dieters because it's so new. And I wonder if the old paradigm with high LDLC meaning something bad in your uh, health I wonder if that only applies to to the sugar burners, to the people that are still eating kind of the standard crap diet uh, and that uh, higher LDL with a keto dieter means a totally different thing because you're talking about two different kinds of metabolisms. Uh, that is the way I view it, Jimmy, that you are talking about two different things and the human body is very complex, but we even see this kind of thing all the time in engineering with complex equipment and machinery you've got these kind of dualities that occur. So, so high temperature can be really bad under certain conditions or high temperature can be perfectly appropriate under other conditions. But I think the world of cholesterol wants it to be just simple or simplistic. High is bad. But I agree, if you're a fat burner and your LDLP goes up, and your other insulin and all your other markers are fine and you checked everything and triangulated and checked and you're in great health, then you are a person where the high LDL particle count may simply be part of physiology. And I think what's going to be really critical here as well is if people are concerned, they can get a calcium scan, the most powerful measure of uh, coronary vascular disease extent. Yes. That, that exists. What's that documentary you were talking about that promotes this? Oh, the Widowmaker movie. Yes, yeah. Watch the Widowmaker. Is it on Netflix? Where, where can they see that? You can actually get it now, the shorter version, which is plenty, plenty long. Um, if you Google Widowmaker CAC, so okay. those two words, Widowmaker CAC together in Google, and you'll hit it on YouTube in full quality with subtitles in most languages. Nice. Yeah, yeah so I, I've been doing CACs uh, for, uh, well, I don't get a lot of them because once you get a zero, you don't really have to test again for a little while. Yeah, I think it's fair to say if you get a zero and your bloods are all pretty good, then six, seven, eight years later would be reasonable just to check nothing's gone wrong. But if you get a very high score, you need to take action fast yes. and maybe check in two years later. So go on um, Ornish diet where he uh, reverses... Uh, coronary plaque that that's what he said he says it's the only one that does that <laughs> well hey well i i did a i a just podcast opened a can of worms with iver coming so <laughs> <laughs> well ornish that was a, a non-controlled study with around 50 interventions obviously and the other thing is i have a friend who's the head of a british cardiology association i interviewed him last week at a conference and he's an absolute expert in cardiology and he's published research on all kinds of intravenous crazy stuff. Is that, and he said, though, who is that? 
uh, Dr. Scott Murray. Oh, Scott Murray. Okay. Head, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's head of the BACPR. And like he has publications that even I strain to go through the complex stuff. So he he's brilliant. But he said that that stuff, using these grainy black and white photographs of angiograms from 30 years ago, he just said it's not science at all. You cannot call a regression from those kinds of images because the arteries go in and out of the muscle of the heart. And he says they don't have the reproducibility. So he said it's a bit it's a bit ironic. They're they're actually claiming reversal because the science isn't good enough to say that. So somebody but, should call him out on that. Somebody should say, OK, let's replicate exactly what Ornish did in his study. And with all the technology, I mean, you could probably show it up on an iPad in high res now and see it very clearly what's going on. Yeah, yeah. If you did it properly with the new 640 slice machines or something and really got high quality imaging or did IVUS intravenous ultrasound. Um, yeah, you, but no one, I think, wants to do that because if you've got something where you can claim you reversed it, you might not want that to be tested or looked at too closely, right? Yeah, the paradigm is entrenched. <laughs> Yeah, it's they've got what they need now. But you know, the funny thing, Jimmy, is that if you put someone on a kind of a starvy, very low fat diet and they get all kinds of sun and exercise and meditation and low stress and no sugar, no vegetable oils, no bad stuff. If you do all of these things to someone with heart disease, it's not too shocking that you get a great improvement. Mm hmm. You know, you're moving from standard American diet to something where you've literally everything you can, you've switched to the good place. And now my contention would be if you do all the good stuff and you also do healthy, low carb, high healthy fats, then you're going to get an even better result and right. better neurological health and a better life. That's better. the study I want to see. I want to see uh, <laughs> a randomized controlled, double blind placebo study looking at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's we'll see if if they feel they would like to uh, fund that. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But they there's another... it that strongly. They should. Yeah, they should. But but the problem is low carb is still being pressed against and keto is certainly being pushed against. And we've seen the the ridiculous toilet papers published from the epidemiology guys, even in the last year or two. Oh, yeah. Trying to claim that low carb could be unhealthy based on on absolute junk data, associational trash. So don't start me on that. But they've been doing that since I've been blogging. I've been out there since 2005 blogging. And like every six months, we get this big splash in the media. Low carb does this, does that to your heart. You're going to die. All of these things. It's almost and, it, and it's definitely ramped up since keto's become popular in the mainstream around the world. It just seems like they're grasping at straws. And anybody with a brain looking at that knows what they're doing. Yeah, the the problem is the the vast majority of ordinary people don't know what we know and they're really not sure. They just see the headline. They're clueless. But yeah, I'm just amazed they're still at it. But on the other hand, they have to still be at it because they're looking at 30 or 40 years of their advice that that could be shown to be kind of wrong. And that means it's worth a lot of your time to try and keep this this evil day away. <laughs> how, how long did uh, Ansel Keys stay above water with his theory till he died? And <laughs> yeah, he got a long time out of it. The old coot. He did. And, <laughs> he really did. So and, what are we looking at? 20, 30 years before the old guard dies off with this hypothesis and the new one maybe takes hold. Or do you think it's going to take that long? 
No, I, I think the internet and the freedom of information and Sci-Hub and the access to scientific papers and data to pe ordinary people, or sorry, not or but technical people, all of this sharing of information is going to cause this thing in the next five or 10 years, I think, to get forced into some kind of shape, uh, I think. But, you know, if it wasn't for the internet and freedom of scientific information getting out there, we could have gone another 50 years. We'd still be looking at LDLC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. But you know. Yeah, go ahead. Well, there's other things that are changing, too, like uh, the 2018 cholesterol treatment guidelines. That's from where the I was AA. going next. I'm glad you're going there. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually an amazing triumph that they've now put in CAC for middle risk people at 2A evidence level. Can so I push back on that a little bit, though? Because here's what's going to happen. And and mm -hmm. I'm a realist when it comes to these kinds of things. All right, doctors are told, okay, if, if patient X has a cholesterol over X, then you need to give them uh, a CAC. And then it comes back, let's just say it comes back zero, Ivor, showing that there's no actual signs of disease taking place. What is a doctor going to do with a patient that has higher cholesterol, they're still going to give them a statin medication despite the zero. So what has actually changed? Well, no, that's a good question. And, and the system is so imperfect that, that it's never going to be all perfect. But at least when they use CAC, there will be people who now with their doctor, they're talking a lot in the guideline about shared decision making, mm -hmm. where the doctor can really make a shared decision. He can acknowledge there's no disease and the high cholesterol may not be a problem and they can share a decision that maybe medication is not needed yet. So uh, it can I hope it can so. save it. It can say, well, it could save a certain amount of people from unnecessary medication. But you're right. It'll depend on the quality of the doctor. But I think that. The other question from a few minutes ago, as all this LDL and, and low carb and other stuff comes out in the coming years, I think more and more doctors are going to get more informed anyway. But it's a fair point, Jimmy. The, the good thing about CAC being in for middle risk is, and this was not why they put it in. They put it in to maybe save people with a zero from having medication if they're middle risk and it's uncertain. Yeah. But the benefit from it is that people who are middle risk and are not sure whether they're diseased or not, by getting a scan, we're going to catch the really high risk people and they'll get a heads up, you know, before they have a heart attack. And I do like that. Yeah. Now you can say, well, someone who's really, who's picked up as being in the top 10 or 20% where around half of heart attacks occur, well, it's great to pick them up. Now, then you could say maybe, well, they're going to get a statin. But to be honest, I think the data is reasonably clear that if you are genuinely highly diseased, the statin can help. And right. sure, there's side effects, but, you know, but the tragedy is giving it to huge amounts of people where it's been shown in a recent study two weeks ago. And you can maybe put a link to it where statin in high CAC people has reduced events over 12 years a statin in a low risk zero to 100 CAC had no reduction in risk over 12 years. And there's there's so many of those guys with zero who are getting statins and it, it's going to have no effect on the any side effects. So, Ivor, can you describe high risk versus low risk just so people can have a clearer understanding of what you're talking about? 
Right. Okay. So zero is lowest risk and one to 10 is very low relative risk. And I give it in terms of a recent study. So over 10 years for middle-aged people in the college or the cardiology journal recently, zero scores had 1.4% rate of heart events over 10 years, which is very low for humans. Uh, people from one to 10 score had 4%. People from 11 to 100, I think at around five and a half or 6%. Mm-hmm. And then from 100 to 400, and I'm actually going to check here. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact figures. I want to get this exactly yeah. right. And this is the heart calcium score we're talking about. You guys ask for the CT heart scan by name for your doctor. Absolutely. So here I have the figures just to be right. It was a slightly different category. So zero was 1.4% rate over 10 years. One to 100 score was 4%. 100 to 400 was 15%. Mm-hmm. Greater than 400 up to 1,000 was 26%. And getting over 1,000 CAC score was 37% events, more than one in three people. So the difference between a zero score and a very high score is the difference between 1.4% rate over the next 10 years and 37% rate or 25 times more heart attack events. And the dirty little secret they're not telling you is what caused it to get that extraordinarily high. Most of uh, the time it was a junk food, crappy garbage diet. Absolutely. And it's not really the LDL levels generally don't even correlate at all very well with calcification. But insulin does and many other things do. And diabetes does. Do they correlate trigs? We don't really have good data on that. But what we do have from studies is um, insulin in some studies where it was looked at and hypertension pretty well links and diabetes rates link and kidney failure links hugely to calcification as well, because, you know, we know the kidney failure people, the kind of problems they have. Right. But but the big causes are, I would say, just for the record, refined carb sugars and modern seed oils, yes. vegetable oils. And after that, you've got a bunch of other things like low magnesium, low potassium and our modern foods, processed foods are, are, are poor in many minerals, uh, even though they're 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 they've got these kind of uh, nutrients put into them. They've been fortified. And the reason is because they're junk, so they have right. to fortify them. <laughs> but but they're not always putting in the important stuff like magnesium, potassium. They're putting in other things that were identified by the government decades ago, but they're missing stuff compared to real food. Well, and even worse than that is they're stripping these micronutrients out of the body as well. So you might be fortifying it and getting it back into your body, but it's stripping out probably more than what it's putting back in. Yeah, that's another problem and problem with grains often um, have that issue. And generally processed foods uh, as well will deplete you. High sugar junk foods will deplete you of magnesium and other key minerals uh, as they're used to try and detoxify the junk foods effects. So, yeah, it's it's a tsunami. Uh, The most recent data shows that 64 percent of American adults over 45 years old are now essentially diabetic. Wow. 
So that's oh. two thirds of the people. And if you measured insulin, as myself and Gerber would say, yeah. you'll probably up to 75 or three quarters of the people are essentially diabetic physiology, which that's, is insane. That is very insane. Well, Ivor, you've gone off the deep end, my brother, because you've started a podcast that's coming. It's out now. Uh, it's now January of the new year. So tell us about your new podcast, man. Right. Well, it's out very soon. I, I think by end of January. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, I just decided I, I do a podcast because I already have all the the experience with the kind of sound gear and video yeah, gear from all good. the interviews. Yeah. So I um I just be built a studio basically in Ireland and the gear I have with all the arms and Procaster mics and everything I can bring in a hard shell case around the world. And I'm just going to be picking guests and uh, I've got around 10 lined up already for the next couple month or two. Nice. And I'll just add to the stock. Yeah. And we need more voices of intelligence out there. And like you said earlier, not everything you see and hear on the Internet is all that great. But when you do find some good stuff, um, it definitely helps to expand the knowledge and you're definitely going to do your part. So what would you call the podcast? The Fat Emperor? <laughs> Ah, it's the Fat Emperor podcast. Yeah, not too creative there, but uh, <laughs> I might change branding, the name. Brother. It's called branding. Yeah, <sighs> well, very good. You're definitely doing a great job with all the work, and I, I've I've loved hearing you talk uh, at all the various conferences over the time. Although you missed me at KetoCon, I, I was like, "Where Where's Ivor? I know he's here somewhere." So anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thefatemperor.com oh, I... is his website if you want to check him out. And definitely, if you're interested in all this cholesterol stuff and you're still worried about cholesterol, number one, don't do that. But number two, go read "Eat Rich, Live Long: Mastering the Low Carb and Keto Spectrum for Weight Loss." and longevity. Well, Ivor, thanks so much for joining us again here today on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, thanks a lot, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. Uh, Living La Vida Low Carb, this show is changing lives. We're talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling bright. Cut up the avocados, fry some eggs, time to explore the longest running health podcast hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage, we're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal, yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused, don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, the Living Low Carb Show. Disc of Light. <laughs>